This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, better known as The Radio Show Nerd, and tonight's episode is entitled Murder and Deceit. And once you listen to the main protagonist of the stories spotlighted this evening, you'll understand why. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series featured tonight are Dark Fantasy and Inner Sanctum. Now, a quick history of Dark Fantasy. It was a short-lived anthology series that ran from February 13th, 1942 to, I told a bold-faced lie, it ran from November 14th, 1941 to June 19th, 1942. It was created by writer Scott Bishop and ran on NBC every Friday night. The radio play tonight is called A Delicate Case of Murder. And it was either first broadcasted on February 13th, 1942 or February 20th, 1942. When I did research on the episode, these are the dates that were presented. Now this stars Georgina Cook, Eleanor Naylor Corrin, and Ben Morris. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to A Delicate Case of Murder. Remember Winstead, the, the penthouse party? 
gave the beastly thing. Do you remember? Yes, I remember very well. It was Quentin Ramsey. Oh, yes, that's who it was. Ramsey had a mystic oracle board, you know, Ouija. No one could get the thing to work until they coaxed Laura to sit down and have a try. And she made the board work? Oh, indeed she did. All over the place. <laughs> it was absolutely weird. She got messages from several of the guest friends who had passed on some time ago. People she'd never heard of until that night. How wonderful. Well, she used the board for about a year and then found out she could get pencil messages. Pencil messages? Yes. Yeah, she simply substituted the pencil for the little heart-shaped board with the eyes and glass window. Her messages came in more rapidly that way, more complete, and this method was less tiring for her. You mean she actually contacts departed spirits that way? I mean she did. But she gave up the writing method two years ago. Uh, didn't she, Winstead? Yes, thank heavens. Every place I'd go, I'd find a paper simply covered with strange scratching harebrained so-called messages. But look here, old fellow. Do I detect the shade of sarcasm in your voice? I dare say you do. Not a bored with the whole thing. But why, Winstead? Simply because it's all a lot of... Well... No, darling, really. I'm absolutely fascinated by it all. I can't wait for Mrs. Winstead to come down. No, she'll be down in a moment. I say, Winstead, really, I can't understand your attitude about Laura's work. Why, you used to enjoy watching her work immensely. Yes. I used to love her immensely. What? I say, does that mean that you... Uh, Mr. Rogers, you said a moment ago that Mrs. Winstead doesn't communicate by means of pencil writing any longer. Oh, why? Why, no, she doesn't. After about a year of it, she undertook a profound and comprehensive study of spiritualism and communication with those who have left this level. In her study, she learned that those departed ones can sometimes make contact with us through the use of a medium's voice. Uh, she, uh, well, she began very slowly at first, lying relaxed on a couch, eyes closed, and eventually her contact began to use Alora's own voice for their messages. And that's what she'll do for us tonight? That and more. More? Oh, yes. You see, Miss Keaton, after Laura Winstead perfected her means of vocal communication with spirits, she continued her studies and experiments until she became able to bring about uh, materialization. You mean... I mean, uh, now we see the departed one with whom Oh, well, I really didn't expect that. I thought possibly a few table wrappings. Oh, more than we're wrapping through the night, Miss Keaton. Oh, here's Laura now. Oh, Laura, dear. Good evening. Or should I say good morning? It's after 2 a.m. Yes, Laura. We've been waiting for you. Really, I think it would be more prompt. Do you, Harvey? Well, perhaps you should hold the seances instead of me. Now, Laura, there's really no reason for you to make a scene. <laughs> no, no, of course not. We're not here for a scene. It's for a seance. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, shall we begin, Laura? Yes. Harvey, if this is going to bore you, 
I suggest you go into the library until we've finished. No. I'll remain here. Then I must ask you to assume the right attitude. You know we always have difficulty getting good contact whenever a disbeliever is present. Oh, I'm sure Mr. Winstead believes, don't you, Harvey? I'd rather ask that same question of you, Frederica. We're finished here. Don't worry about me, Mrs. Winstead. I'm quite open-minded. I'm sure you are, dear. Now, we'll all gather around the table. Rogers, will you turn off the lights, please? Oh, yes. Certainly. There we are. Now we're all... Give me your hand. Miss Keaton, yours, please. Now, now you two clasp hands with Mr. Winstead. Yes, I I understand. Where's your hand? Oh, Oh, there it is. All set, Laura. Now, whatever happens, no one is to break the contact. Is that perfectly clear? No one. We will soon make communication with one from another level. Where will we see this? I must ask you to be very quiet, Miss Keaton. No one is to speak. And when the materialization takes place, please do not utter a sound unless it addresses you personally. We're gathered here to commune with whomsoever wishes to contact us. We've gathered with open minds and with a unity of purpose. If there is someone who wishes to speak to us or any one of us, will he or she please make herself known? Is someone seeking contact? Please knock twice for no, thrice for yes. Do you have a message for someone present? For me? No. For someone else who's present here? Do you wish to speak through me? Do you wish to show yourself to us? your appearance now, when you are ready to speak through me, please begin. 
Please come back again when you can. Oh, thank you. I will. Good night, Laura. I'll run Frederica home. I'll be long shortly. Yes, Harvey. Take your time, my dear. <laughs> now, whatever made me say that, I'm sure you will anyway. Good night. Harvey. She's suspicious. But I'm in love with you. How could she have found out? I told her. You did? Yes. I had a clean breast of it to her. Told her it was no good she and I trying to continue to make a go of it. She refused to give me a divorce. Oh. I'm really desperate, Frederica. I can't stand living with her another day. She... She's changed so. There's no love in her heart anymore. No warmth. She's suddenly become such a different person. Nagging, sharp-tongued, overbearing. Oh, poor dear. You do need someone to look after you. She must neglect you terribly. She does. I minded a lot at first. Believe me, Frederica, I was always in love with Laura. Now she's... She's so indifferent. Everything I try to do for her. But why has she become so indifferent to you? I stopped trying to explain that months ago. I... I don't care anymore. Now that I've found you... Harvey. You do love me, don't you, Frederica? Oh, yes, dear. Of course I do. But we can't go on like this. With no solution in view. There must be a solution. There must be some way. But there is no way. No way except the one Laura denies us. Just give me a little time, Frederica. It isn't hopeless yet. I promise you, Frederica, I'll find a way. Oh, I'll find a way somehow. My darling. Harvey, I'm still thinking about what Laura did here tonight. The apparition... The voice of my mother. Oh, nonsense, Frederica. Darling, what do you mean? Here, I'll show you what I mean. Here, I, I want you to see this, Frederica. Here you are. What? See? Well, that's almost an exact image of my mother. Nothing but a paper mache face, painted to resemble an old lady, an old gray shawl, and some old style spectacles. How does it work? How did she make it appear? Easily. Look, up above there. An almost invisible wire strung across the room. Laura simply releases an electric control lock on this cabinet behind her chair. Since the invisible wire is placed at a single angle, the so-called spirit slips slowly out in front of those sitting at the table. Here. Like, like this. says whatever she wants to. Changing her voice. When it's all over, she simply manipulates this cord on a pulley inside the cabinet. The images return to the cabinet. Simple. Oh. Well, then... She merely tricked us. Tricked you. I've known for years that Laura's nothing but a fraud. You might have kept oh. what you 
know for yourself, Harvey. Oh, Mrs. Winston. Laura, I asked... I asked her not to come here. She insisted that since you extended the invitation, she was obliged to. I felt it only fair to show her that she'd been the victim of a hoax. Harvey, never mind, Miss Keaton. I'm not in the least embarrassed. The apparition was a trick, yes. But I assure you, my dear, the voice was not. Of course it was, Laura. You know it. Indeed, Harvey, my dear, there are many things between earth and heaven that none of us know. There are many things that you don't know. Yes, I have used tricks at our meetings. I admit that. But not everything that has happened here has been trickery. You'll have to convince me, Laura. Harvey, I have a feeling... A feeling that someday, somehow, I will convince you. And that when I do, you'll never be able to scoff at me again. Laura, I'm sorry about last night. Simply must settle this thing once and for all. I can't see if there's anything to settle. You haven't the right to hold me like this, Laura. You don't love me. Why don't you give me my freedom? Simple, Harvey. Because no woman likes to see another take her place. Besides, it's so convenient being married to your income. You're the most selfish, the most self-centered <laughs> woman I've ever met. Am I, darling? certainly are. Laura, all I ask is a divorce. I'll see to it that you're well cared for financially. No, Harvey. You're wasting your breath. I told you no yesterday. I say no again today. And I'll keep on saying no as long as I live. As long as you live. Yes. I'm driving out to Cliff Point. Won't you ride along with me? We'll be back by noon. Oh, why, thank you so much. I, I would like to fresh air. Then come along, Frederica. I need some company, and besides, I want to have a little talk with you. Frederica! Thank you. 
is uh, slightly improved, Mr. Winston. Thank heaven. But she's still in a very serious condition. She regained consciousness early this morning after a ten days coma. She seems to recognize people, but something is wrong with Miss Keaton's nerve centers. For one thing, she can't use her voice. An operation, perhaps? Yes, a very serious one. To require, well, quite an expense. Oh, hang the expense. Get the best surgeon you know of. I'll pay all the bills, everything. Only Frederica Keaton must recover. Say, Winstead, do you really think that that this girl will ever recover? I don't know. It's been months since the accident. She hasn't been able to speak one word to me. Now, look here, it's, it's none of my affair, really, but I know things have been going very badly for you lately. Losing your wife and all. You need some money, old man. Oh, no, no. No, thanks. Thanks a lot, Rogers. My money's not completely gone yet. Good news. Good news, Winston. Yes, Doctor? The operation was a success. <laughs> Believe me, I, I never dreamed it would require three operations to make Miss Keaton able to speak again. She can talk? Yes. After almost six months of silence. Oh, that's splendid. When can I see her, Doctor? Why, now, if you wish. Here, this way. Just, just a few minutes now. She's, she's very weak. Yes. Hello, Frederica. Harvey. Harvey. Darling. Oh, my darling, at last. Isn't it... Isn't it wonderful, dear? Oh, my dearest one. To hear your voice again. I... I thought I'd never speak to you again. You must forget all that, darling. Get well soon, please. Because just as soon as you're strong enough, we'll be married, dearest. Just as I've always told you we'd be. Laura, 
Next, we have the iconic Inner Sanctum, which was a horror anthology series that ran from January 7th, 1941 to October 5th, 1952 on CBS. It was created and produced by Hyman Brown. The radio play tonight is called, well, was originally titled The Man Who Couldn't Die but was changed to Elixir Elixir Number 4 before it was broadcasted it was written by Emily Tepperman and it starred actor Richard Winmark and it was first broadcasted on February 12th 1946 so you all know the drill Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Elixir number four. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. This is your host of the Inner Sanctum inviting you in through the creaking door. Come on in and enter into the spirit of things. <laughs> oh, uh, don't pay any attention to those gurgling sounds you hear. They're the unfortunate ones. The midnight spirits who are caught haunting before midnight. Poor things. All they can do now is gurgle because they've evaporated. Into distilled spirits. <laughs> what a horrifying thought, Mr. Host. Can't we ever talk about the brighter side of life? 
Well, don't forget, Mary, murder is my business. Well, thank goodness it isn't mine. And right now, I'd much prefer to talk with our Lipton listeners about something more conducive to happy spirits. I mean, a cup of hearty, piping hot Lipton tea. You know, it's really wonderful, the extra delight you get from this superb tea, friends. And the reason is simply this, Lipton's grand brisk flavor. Brisk, you know, is the tea expert's own word for the fresh, full-bodied, lively flavor of Lipton tea. Because unlike ordinary teas, Lipton's is never flat-tasting or lifeless. Lipton tea is always spirited, full-flavored, truly satisfying. Why, I'd even go so far as to say that once you've tried it, I think you'll enjoy Lipton tea more than any other tea you've ever tasted. And I'll go even further, Mary, and introduce our listeners to tonight's story. It's an original radio play written especially for Inner Sanctum by Emil Tepperman. And starring Richard Widmark in the role of Alex Gregory. It's about a man who became master of a secret so fearful that it could never be revealed to any mortal, living or dead. But let him tell you the story himself. How he learned the most terrible secret in all the universe and what he did with it. It was an evening in September, the 15th to be exact, when I first learned of the existence of Elixir Number 4. It happened at Professor Jarman's house just off the college campus. You've heard of Jarman, of course. He was to chemistry what Einstein is to physics. But it was his daughter, Elaine, that I was interested in that evening in September when I rang their bell. Well, hello, Alex. Gosh, is it that late? I'm not even dressed. Hi, sweet. Snap it up, will you? The last show starts at 8.30. Oh, it won't take me long. Wait for me in the library. I'll be ready in a jiffy. I knew my way around the house. I went into the library, and the first thing I noticed was that the door to Professor Jarman's private study was ajar. It had never happened before. The private study and the laboratory beyond were forbidden territory in the Jarman home. Not even Elaine was allowed in there. And now the door was open. I'd heard stories of Jarman's experiments with new and secret formulae. So here was a chance. A possible chance to find out what the old codger was working on. I couldn't resist. I pushed open the door and I stepped into the private study. I could hear Jarman in the lab talking to himself. Elaine had told me once that he always talked to himself in the lab. I stood quietly in the study. But I couldn't make out what he was saying in there. I looked around. The study was just a small cubbyhole with a chair, a bookcase, and a desk. And on the desk, I saw the open diary. A single sentence was written on the open page. I stepped closer. And then... I got the first shock. For that sentence was written in Latin. My Latin was rusty, but I was able to decipher the words, We tie secretum in elixir quartum perpetus habeo. In elixir number four, I have the secret of perpetus life. Perpetus. That was the one word I couldn't seem to place. In elixir number four, I have the secret of 
something. Life. I was puzzling over that word perpetus when suddenly the laboratory door was flung open. What are you doing at my desk? Oh, uh, hello, Professor Charman. I asked you, what are you doing at my desk? Well, the, the study door was open. I, I thought I'd see if you were in here. You were reading my diary. Oh, no, no, Professor. You saw the entry in my diary. Oh, really, Professor, I assure you. Do you I... read Latin? L Latin? Well, I, I don't understand. You're sure you don't understand Latin? No, no, I, I don't. Ready? What? Is anything wrong? Elaine, I've told you time and again, no one is to be admitted to my study. Oh, I'm sorry, Dad. You must have left the door open. Oh, Alex, you shouldn't I'm have terribly come... sorry, Elaine. I, I found the door open and I thought Professor Jarman was in here. I, I just wanted to say hello. All right, all right. No harm done as long as you can't read Latin. Now, get along, you two. I'm busy, but keep out of my study hereafter. I took Elaine to the movies, but I haven't the faintest recollection of what the picture was about. Through my mind kept running that Latin sentence. We tie secretum in elixir quartum perpetus habeo. When I said goodnight to Elaine at her door after the show, I hurried home to my room and I got out an old Latin dictionary. I looked up the word perpetus. And then I got a strange, cold feeling down my spine. For the word perpetus meant perpetual. The Latin sentence which Jarman had written in his diary meant, in elixir number four, I have the secret of perpetual life. Professor Jarman had discovered the secret of immortality. All the next day, I conducted my chemistry classes purely by instinct. I couldn't take my thoughts from elixir number four. Every voice in the classroom seemed to sing the same refrain. Accomplished by adding to a dilute solution of H2SO4 a quantity Immortality. Never to know the fear of death. To live on serenely. To watch the world change through the centuries. Never to die. It grew on me like a festering tumor, this terrific dream of immortality, everlasting life. I had to have elixir number four. In the afternoon, the first free period I had, I went down the hall to Jarman's office. Come in. May I come in for a moment, Professor? Oh, it's you. Yes, come in, but I haven't much time. Professor, uh, I want to apologize for last uh, night. Let's forget about it. No harm done. Well, whatever it was you had written in your diary, it uh, it must have been pretty important. Oh, no, no, not at all. Only some chemistry notes. Nothing of any importance. Just something I've been experimenting well, with. Well, I'd be very glad to assist you, Professor. Anything I could do, That's I'd be... very kind of you, young man, but I don't need any assistance, thank you. As a matter of fact, the experiment is completed. You mean you're all finished? All but the practical application. Oh. Well, couldn't I help you on that? It won't be necessary. Tonight, I'm taking the last step. Tonight? I knew what that meant. Tonight, he was going to use elixir number four. He was going to administer it to himself. I had to act tonight or never. Jarman's keys were on his desk. I distracted his attention and I managed to pick them up without his noticing. Then I hurried across town to a locksmith 
and had him make duplicates of Jarman's house key, his study key, and his laboratory key. Then I returned to the college, and I managed to replace the keys on Jarman's desk while he was out. Now, I was ready for an adventure into immortality. At 8.30 that evening, I let myself into Charman's house, opened the study door, and stepped quietly over to the laboratory. I knew Elaine was at a sorority meeting. The professor and I were the only ones in the house. Charman was standing at the lab table with his back to me, talking away to himself. There was a small vial on the table and a hypodermic syringe alongside it. quantity administered yesterday will be sufficient. At my age, since my blood is too thin, I require the additional dose. But a younger man would need only one injection to cause the necessary type change in his blood. Who's that? Good evening, Professor Zaman. I hope I'm not interrupting. What are you doing here? How did you get in? So elixir number four changes the bloodstream, hmm? What do you want in here? Quit stalling, Professor. I know what elixir number four is. Ah. So this is it. Elixir number four. Careful. Don't spill it. How much of this stuff have you got? Hey, that's all there is. Five cc's. You mean you haven't got any more? It took me five years to distill ten cc's. Before that, I experimented for ten years. I failed three times. And this is your fourth try, huh? Elixir number four. And there isn't any more of it? It'll take me five years more to make up another bat. Please be careful. Don't drop it. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't. You, uh... You said this is enough to make the average man immortal. Me, for instance? It's not for you. You hear me? Not for you. Oh, yes, it is, Professor. It's for me. I won't let you... What are you doing with that mallet? What do you think? No. I'm so sorry, Professor. Wait, I, I'll let you have it. Don't kill me. I've got to kill you. When I take this dose of elixir number four, I'll be immortal. And I don't want anyone to know it. Away, you fool. You'll never enjoy your immortality. You'll wish you were dead a thousand times. I'll come back to remind you. Back to remind you. Oh. I didn't hit him hard enough to kill him. That wasn't part of my plan. But when he lay unconscious on the floor, I searched among the chemicals until I found what I wanted. I mixed some chemicals in a test tube, and I watched the fumes forming. Then I held the test tube against Jarman's mouth, forcing the deadly gas into his lungs. When I was sure he was dead, I wiped the tube clean of my fingerprints and put it back in the rack. Then I picked up the vial of elixir number four, the hypodermic syringe, and I hurried away, locking all the doors behind me. As soon as I got home, I filled the hypo with elixir number four, and I gave myself the injection. Almost immediately, I felt a strange radiance pervading my body. A new strength was flowing in my blood. 
I was immortal. I couldn't die. I would go on living and living and living forever. What's going on here? What's all this about living forever? If you ask me, it would be more of a curse than a blessing. Now, just suppose we all took a shot of this elixir number four. I think of all the people who'd lose their jobs. Grave diggers and stone cutters and shroud makers and hearse drivers and... Oh, I go on. You see what I mean. Why, everybody'd be out of a job. We'd all practically starve to death. Well, then, Mr. Host, maybe we can be glad that nobody has ever found the fountain of youth. You know, I think it's not a matter of trying to live forever. The important thing is to get more enjoyment out of every day. Mm-hmm. For instance, Mary. Well, for instance, one splendid way to get more enjoyment out of an otherwise dull day is to invite your friends in for tea. It's a delightful neighborly custom, made even more delightful when the tea you serve is Lipton's, because there's so much extra pleasure in Lipton tea. The party will seem more of a party. The conversation will be more sparkling, and your reputation as a thoughtful hostess will soar to the skies the moment your guests take their first sip of Lipton tea. For Lipton's wonderful, brisk flavor makes it a favorite with everybody. So when friends drop in for tea, or the family gathers around the dinner table, serve them Lipton's. Tea at its delicious best. And now let's get back to our story. We're all anxious to see what this fellow Alex does with his secret of perpetual life. Just imagine, a man with all that time on his hands. Time to kill. And kill. And kill. Immortality. I had it in my blood. I could feel it pulsing in my veins. The vitality, the power. I had to establish an alibi. Not that I expected to need an alibi. Jarman's death would surely look like an accident or suicide when his body was found in the laboratory in the morning. But I wasn't taking any chances on a murder charge. I had so much more to lose now. Wouldn't it be ironic if they were to execute me for murder? <laughs> me, an immortal. Next morning, I stopped at Jarman's house and rang the bell. I knew Elaine must have gone right to bed when she returned from the sorority meeting last night because she never disturbed her father when he was in the lab. But now, when she discovered that he hadn't been to bed all night... She'd want to investigate. And I wanted to be there when the body was found. Oh, good morning, Alex. Hello, sweet. What's wrong? You look worried. <laughs> Come on in. Alex, I am worried. Dad's still in the lab. He didn't go to bed last night. Well, what of it? He must be working on something big. No, no, I'm afraid something's happened. I, I knocked at the door just now and there was no answer. The door was locked? Yes, but I have a pass key. I, I wonder if I ought to use it. Well, of course you should. Well, please, Alex. You come with me. Of course, darling. Together we opened the laboratory door. I was all set to act horrified when we discovered the body on the floor. 
But there was no need to act. I was horrified. For the... The lab was empty. There was nothing on the floor. The body of Professor Jarman was gone. I don't know for how many hours after that that I walked the street, confused and frightened and uncomprehending. I tried to reason it out, how Jarman's body had walked out of that lab. There was only one solution. Jarman had already taken one dose of elixir number four. It must have counteracted the poison that I'd forced into him. He must have gotten up and then walked away. But where? And why? I recalled what he'd said before I hit him with the mallet. Yes, I could hear his voice faintly strumming at my brain. You'll never enjoy your immortality. You'll wish you were dead a thousand times. I'll come back to remind you. The next day, I went to Elaine's house, and I saw that she was taking her father's disappearance pretty hard. Oh, Alex, I, I don't know what to make of it. Do you think that... that Dad... Oh, did he... No, no, take it easy, baby. Maybe he's just but... suffering from amnesia. Maybe he just walked out of the house. He might turn up tomorrow. I have a terrible feeling, Alex, that... that he's dead. What makes you think so? Oh, I don't know. Now, now, please, Elaine. That won't do you any good. Oh, but it's the uncertainty. If, if I only knew for sure. Alex. Hmm? Do you believe in mediums? Communicating with the dead? Do you believe a medium can put you in touch with the dead? Oh, is that what you're thinking of, darling? Going to a medium? Don't you see, Alex? If, if Dad... Oh, if Dad is dead, maybe... Maybe... I was worried, too. I had to know if Jarman was dead or alive. I had to know before I could start enjoying life. Yes, yes, that might be a good idea, Elaine. Can't hurt to try. There's a medium in town. Oh, I... I don't know what I want to do. Let me think about it. Well, sure, sure, darling. In the days that followed, I began to doubt whether I really was immortal. Was elixir number four really the elixir of life? Was I really going to live forever? If there was only some way to prove it. Then I remembered what Jarman had said, that the elixir caused a change of blood type. Well, that'd be easy enough to check. Elaine was taking a medical course, so I asked her to test my blood on the pretext that I thought I had anemia. It won't hurt, Alex. Just... The needle? Ouch. <laughs> there, now I've got all the blood I need. Just sit here a minute while I make the test. Well, uh, does it take long? Mm, only a minute. Alex. She was excited. There was something different about my blood then. Alex. Alex, come here quick. What? Look. Oh, look, Alex. I, I can't be mistaken. Uh, your blood... It's a new type. Elaine couldn't get over the discovery that my blood was a new type. I'd asked her not to tell anyone about my new blood type, but I knew she wouldn't be able to keep the secret for long. And once it got out, people might begin to suspect what I already knew for sure, that I was immortal. Oh, I couldn't afford to have that known, because then everybody in the world would be envious of me. They'd hate me, too. 
because they'd know I could go on living long after they were dead. Oh, no. No, it had to be a secret forever. No one in the whole world must know, except myself. And the only person who could spill the secret now was Elaine. So, there was only one thing to do. Elaine furnished the opportunity herself the next day. Alex, I've been thinking about that medium. I've got to know if... if Dad is alive or... or dead. All right, whatever you say, darling, if it'll make you feel any better. I'll go with you, of course. Just the two of us, huh? We made a date to go to the seance that evening. And I made my plans accordingly. I didn't intend that Elaine should leave the seance alive. We arrived at the medium's house promptly at nine o'clock. The medium asked Elaine and me to sit close to each other. And then she put out the lights. Alex. It's all right, sweet. I'm right here. I'm right next to you. I'm frightened. Now, there's nothing to be frightened about, darling. I'm right here with you. But it's so dark. I can't see anything. I don't hear anything. Where's the medium? She's still here. She's right across the table. She's gone into a trance. Do you think she'll contact Dad's spirit? I don't know, darling. Wait and see. I timed myself carefully, waiting for the moment when the medium should be well into her trance. Then I took out of my pocket the hypodermic syringe. I held the plunger in my left hand while I gripped Elaine's arm with my right, my thumb over the artery. Alex, my arm, your fingers hurt. It's all right, sweet. Slowly, I brought the hypodermic needle up close to the artery. One bite of the needle, a single plunge of the plunger, and death would come almost instantaneously. And no one in the world could say that it hadn't been heart failure. But suddenly, just as I had the plunger ready, I heard... I heard something strange. A sound. In the room where there should have been no sound. You'll never enjoy your immortality. You'll wish you were dead a thousand times. I'll come back to remind you. Back to remind you. The voice of the dead. Back to remind you. Charmin, where are you? you. Jarman, stop. You're dead. You're dead, Jarman. You can't be talking. You're dead. I saw your dead body. I killed you myself. Suddenly, the lights flashed up. The room was full of police. Arrest him, officer. He killed my father. You heard his confession. That voice. That was Dad's voice, Alex. A recording. What? A recording? That's why he always talked to himself in the lab. He had a wire recording machine. He talked while he carried on his experiments so that there'd be a permanent record. The wire recorder picked up everything that was said in the lab the night you killed him. But we could never have proved it was your voice in court if you hadn't confessed just now. Yes, but the body. I found Dad dead that night when I got back from the meeting. And I hid the body until I could find his murderer. And now, Alex, I found him. <laughs> All 
all through the trial, Elaine sat and watched me. All the time the jury was out, she sat and watched me. And she watched me while they read the verdict of guilty. Her eyes never left me when I stood up to be sentenced and heard the judge say... Alex Gregory, it is the judgment of this court that you be confined to the penitentiary for the rest of your natural life. <laughs> me. Me of all people. Me sentenced to imprisonment for life. Me in whose veins runs the precious elixir number four. Imprisonment for the rest of my natural life, which means forever. I feel kind of sorry for Alex. He really got a tough break. Locked up in a cell for all eternity and no way out. Yes, looks like they'll have to build a new jail around him every thousand years or so. Of course, there's one way out for him. He could let his beard grow for a couple of centuries, and when it gets long enough, he could hang himself. Oh, imagine <laughs> such a thing, Mr. Host. Yes, it would be sort of... Breathtaking, wouldn't it, Mary? <laughs> Poor Alex. He probably had many good impulses in his lifetime. As the trouble is, he didn't follow them. Well, Mr. Host, I'm afraid that's something we all do every now and then. For instance, perhaps some of you Inner Sanctum fans have promised yourselves the pleasure of trying Lipton tea, but somehow just haven't gotten around to it. Or maybe you've just forgotten it when you're writing out your grocery list. Well, this time, make sure. Add Lipton tea to your grocery list right now. For until you do try it, you're missing a real treat. Why not start enjoying lively, full-bodied Lipton tea beginning tomorrow? And now, friends, before I say goodnight, here's a pleasant bit of philosophy. Biologists tell us that all life starts in a little cell. And for convicted murderers, it ends there, too. <laughs> oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Death in the Limelight by A.E. Martin. And next week's Inner Sanctum story brought to you by the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup and directed by Hyman Brown. Next week's story is called You'll never escape. So, if you feel in a capturing mood, join us next Tuesday. Until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. Mm. <laughs> want to know how to make an ordinary meal into a feast? Start it right. Start it bright with tempting, heartwarming Lipton's noodle soup. Lipton's noodle soup is ready to serve in a jiffy, and what a treat it is. Lots of tender, golden noodles and a world of real chickeny flavor that makes it taste homemade. It's economical, too. Lipton's noodle soup mix costs less and makes lots more than canned soups. So try Lipton's noodle soup real soon. And don't forget to tune in next week at the same time for another Inner Sanctum Mystery.
This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. And if you want to drop me a line, make a request, a suggestion, hey, even a critique, Please feel free to email me at radio radio show nerd at gmail.com. And you can also find me on YouTube, Terror Radio. Please check it out. Subscribe. Would be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, aka the Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>